got the one and only Josh Bartlestein <laughs> on the podcast today. Executive VP of Operations, Chief of Staff of the Pistons. That is a hefty title, dude. It sounds a lot better than it is. They just put a bunch of words there, but I appreciate it. Stu, I've been following all your guests. So I was waiting for when I was going to get the invite, so I'm honored. Oh, uh, I mean, I hope this thing goes long enough. You'll be back. Don't even worry. And I want to <laughs> get... I want to get you, me, and Novak on one. Like, yeah. we could do some fun things with it. I'm all in. I'm all in. We were talking a little bit before I started this recording. You said you went to the game last night, which is the, the, the first game, right? That you really. Yeah, it was my, the first time I've been to this year. I mean, being in Michigan, uh, there's such strict requirements on attending games. So they have a, only, I think it's 500 people allowed to go to uh, our Pistons game through the Michigan game. So I luckily was able to go. Uh, must be bad luck. Uh, so I probably won't. I probably shouldn't go again. Absolutely. Uh, but, but we can talk about what transpired. I mean, that's a. I mean, I know you know they're good, and like you probably seen some stuff, and you know they have talent. But yeah. what did you see last night? Yeah. I mean, look, I I always we you and I always joke about it. like over the course of what I think that was game twenty. Like you're gonna have games you just aren't gonna win, right? Like the exactly. ball just don't make shots. The ball doesn't go in. So I think Michigan, like. They played amazing basketball all year. They were probably due for a game they weren't going to play well. And you got to give Illinois a lot of credit. Like, well, they had a really good game plan. Um, Michigan runs a ton of really good stuff. Like, Jawan has them. You know, they have a bunch of free-throwing motion. They got in the ball screens. Like, Illinois got up into them and took them out of that stuff. And then Illinois has a big guy who can kind of bang with uh, Hunter, right? Like, most teams, Hunter can bury you, and he gets to his left hand, and he's got a layup. Uh, they pushed Hunter out away from the basket, and so much what Michigan does is – a little bit pushed back and you know 10 15 years ago but they play out of the post um and those are efficient when they're layups they're not as efficient when they're hook shots so i think you gotta give Illinois a lot of credit even without io um they made plays and i thought that a really good game plan and michigan had one of those games where you know uh, they just the ball didn't go in enough and they struggled and that happens over the course of a long season but they put themselves in a great position and i think you know they got one of the next two to win the big time and that's quite an accomplishment uh, with all the things they've been through and as loaded as the Big Ten, it's, just, it's a really, really good conference. Yeah, especially going against Michigan State. Like, those back-to-back games are going to be high. Like, I, feel, I feel bad uh, for Michigan State. <laughs> like, just the first game back, that's going to be a vengeance for Michigan. Um, but, yeah, they've obviously been impressive. Juwan's been impressive. Have you had any inter- interactions with Juwan? Yeah, I, a little bit. Like, I, I couldn't be more impressed, I think. I mean, he's such a personable guy. Like, you just see uh, the way his players speak about him. Um, he just – his brand, what he stands for, I think so ties to Michigan. He's a player's coach. His players love playing for him. I thought uh, C.J. Baird, the, the walk-on, you know, I, you know I'm always looking out for walk-ons, but it was funny. He tweeted, uh, after they beat IU at Bloomington, uh, which is a big win. Anytime you win there, it's, those are hard games. Uh, Joe, I guess C.J. couldn't sit on the bench because they, maybe they have a limited amount of people who can be there. And the first thing Joan did after a big win was turn around and point to CJ, who I guess drove down um, just to kind of take the game in and support. And like that says a lot about Coach Howard, right? Like he yeah. could have been hugging his star players, like, you know, going to hit the handshake line. But it's the first thing he does is be like, I respect CJ for making the drive. I think that says so much about him and what the program stands for as far as everyone being empowered and having a big role. So brand-wise, recruiting, recruiting speaks for itself. Um, he just gets it. And I think the, everyone said, well, that's the nose he's going to struggle with. There's never been a first-time head coach. Like, if you watch them play, they run great stuff. Like, yeah. they, have, they run an NBA offense. It's, it's hand, dribble handoffs, pick and rolls. They have weak side action to soften up the defense. Defensively, they're really good. They get up into you. They have multiple coverages. Like, 
I just, I, I don't know what else you could ask for. I, I think he's been so incredibly impressive and kind of anything you could ask him to do. What do you think? And he's got the talent. Like he is an NBA manager. Like anything I've ever heard from NBA guys and, you know, even in college, really, it's just, it's just managing egos and getting everyone to mesh together. And like Jawan knows exactly how to do that. I think he's been doing that since his days at Michigan. Like he was always like a point, point big man type guy in that sense. So and like, think about it, like his track record. Like, I mean, he's going to be the number one coach on every, whether you're NBA or college, but like, you know, really, really successful NBA career, unbelievable NBA career. Yeah. Then goes into coaching, like cuts his teeth, does player development, works his way up, lead assistant from Miami one of the best programs in the NBA under Spolstra. Ben says, like, I'll go into college and, like, you know, I'll go be a head coach. I'll prove it to everyone. The NBA didn't want to give him a head job right away. Goes to Michigan, has unbelievable success in two years, builds the pro, you know, maintains the program where Elon left it and rides it in recruiting uh, five-star players. And now he's got the number two team in the country. And now he's his own operator. He's the CEO of Michigan. That's where the head coach is. So, like, when you're looking at what at a head coach resume, like Jawan's, he's done everything. Like there's nothing else you could possibly ask for that he hasn't done at this point. Yeah, I talked to Saudi Washington, and he's like, "Yeah, Jawan just stepped in the door and got hit, got respect right away. Like there was no BSing or playing games with the guys. Like he just demands respect when he walks into a room. And I think you know, especially with a, a guy like Beeline, where it's system offensive oriented, and you know, these plays and like system and like sets are going to win you games. And it's like, no talent wins you games. First of all, yeah. like you see that top, every year that happens, you can overachieve with system and discipline and stuff. But like, if you really want to sure. be a top echelon of programs which Michigan does like that's, yeah. that's talent. And that's, you know, Beeline ended up learning how to manage those guys, 2013 team, 17 team, like, there's a reason. So, like, Juwan, uh, I think talent, talent trumps all. Like, people always ask me, like, why was your team so good? Um, besides me waving the towel on the bench, like, when you have Trey Burke who can, like, pull up from two feet inside half court and make a three against Kansas, or, like, that's – that's you need – systems and process can get you to a certain level. But then you got to have guys who, when the shot clock's going down, you can go one four low and go hit a step-back shot. Or yeah. the defense is kind of packed in and he goes and crosses someone up and dumps it up for a layup. Like you gotta have pros who can get buckets. And like those B line teams, like we ended up with seven NBA players. Like it's unbelievable. And that's why even this team of Michigan, like who knows how many of these guys are pros, but it's a testament to the team that like they play so well together. That's maybe the one flaw you could say with Michigan is like who's the guy when the shot clock's down, when it's a half court game, who are they giving the ball to say, like, go get me a basket? Right. And where's their offense coming? I think you maybe saw it last night. It's like that's where when the game slows down, how do they create good shots for themselves or for others on their team? Yeah. And that's that's the I was talking about this last night with Jeff Goodman and Rob Doster. And it's like now they know, you know, I think Isaiah Livers knows, Franz Wagner Wagner knows, like that's when you guys have to step up. Like you guys gotta be the guys that do it. You can't just look around. But it, it is a that's the funny part with college basketball and like the 30 second shot clock we had 35 where it's like you could just pass for 25 seconds yeah. and then you, and then you're like kind of looking at each other for the next 10 seconds you're like oh we forgot to shoot so it's like no just go just go make a play yeah no, you gotta go make a and that's what it is it's, it's making plays so I think I mean that's one of those games from Michigan I, I have no doubt they'll bounce back tomorrow Michigan State's tough and it's a rivalry yeah uh, so you throw everything out the door but Michigan's really really good um so it, it should be a fun march watching them yeah it's gonna be super fun you mentioned C.J. Bear, the walk-on. You were walk-on. It is a very unsung position, a very beaten-down position. You know, you really get no love. 
And kind of recognition that Jawan did for CJ is really nice. I know Beeline, you know, I've read so many nice words that Beeline said about you and, and I've always appreciated what you did for our teams. Um, but I'm curious what it was like being a walk-on playing, you know, for the scout team against the first team when I was there versus that 2013 yeah. team. Like, could you even, could you even get the better of them on some days? I, uh, I joke, like the reason trailers had a lot of confidence playing is because like I was the one guarding Trey Monday through Friday and then Saturday, you'd be like, well, at this point I haven't missed a shot all week. Yeah. Um, it was a little different as much as I love you, Stu, guarding you versus guarding Trey or Tim Hardaway or, Nick, uh, or Tim Hardaway. Um, there's just a different level of athlete that I had, had to go against. But um, that's, I mean, you said, like, it, it's an underappreciated role, but uh, the beeline was so good with it. And, and you guys were too, right? Like, our team treated everyone the same, whether you were averaging 20 uh, or weren't playing at all. Yeah. Uh, everyone was treated like, you know, you were a star in your role. And that's what beeline said, like, be a star in your role and you're appreciated for it. So, and it shows, like, I mean, being named captain my senior year as a walk-on, like most programs probably wouldn't do that just because of stigma to it. But it shows everyone had an even playing field. And if you kind of worked hard and played uh, and did what was expected, like you had a chance to play and contribute and, and be a part of Michigan basketball. So like it goes back to when I was being recruited, right? Like Dave Merritt and CJ Lee were the two point guards and those were both former walk-ons. So when yeah. I was recruit going to Michigan, part of the reason why I went there, because I had, I had some scholarship offers was like, Elon's like, if you earn it, like you're going to play, like I literally am playing two walk-ons now uh, and we're building this program up and the best players will play. You may have to work a little harder. A tie is probably going to go to a scholarship player, but if you beat them out, I have no problem playing you. Um, and you saw that the, the best players played and coach B gave everyone opportunities. Um, and, and then, you know, the, the, and it was, it was an amazing experience. Like you couldn't, as a kid growing up in Chicago, you couldn't ask for anything else. You had to play in Michigan, play in the big Ten and all the success we had and the great people we had on our team. Yeah. I mean, I had all the respect in the world for Dave and CJ, you know, from day one. And I, that plays a big part that, you know, if you have respect, you have respect. doesn't matter if you got on a scholarship or not. So I, I know my answer to this question, but I want you to kind of go into how you were able to lead from that position. Cause it's not easy. It's not easy yeah. for guys to listen to you. Like, where does that confidence come from? Did you have conversations with Beeline? Um, yeah. I'm going to that a little bit. Yeah, I think you, um, it's a great question. Uh, you probably can't be the, if you, if your only leader is a walk-on who's not playing, your team's probably going to struggle. Right? right. So like what I knew right away when Beelan was like, you're going to be the, you're going to be the captain is like big part of my job was getting Tim and Trey to become captains by the end of the year, because our best version of our team was going to be following those two guys. Uh, I knew I had like the respect of the locker room because I'd been there for three, my fourth year and worked really hard. was always around. So when I said something, it, my voice resonated, and they knew I had seen a lot of stuff from struggling our first year to winning a Big Ten championship. But we we put something in place where we also have a or evolving captainship where different guys from different games would step up and be captain. And for that reason, that I knew by the end of the year in the captain circle, Tim and Trey, those two guys had to be standing right with me. Um, and, and Corey Purse and Matt Logridge, like all the seniors, played a huge role in that. So. I think the key to it is kind of empowering those guys, you know, picking and choosing my spots, but knowing when you're not playing, you can't get on guys the same way when you're playing 32 minutes and diving for loose balls. So right. um, I, I would, I would say things when I knew I needed to say it and would hold people accountable, but I would also, you know, put things in Trey and Tim's there to say to other people because I knew when they said it, it would mean more and kind of push them up. And I think that's what good leaders do is it can't always be your voice. You got to know it means more coming from certain individuals, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's brilliant. And it's, that's just coaching 101 to me. Yeah. Like, 
you know, when a coach knows that a player needs to say something to the team instead of them, I think, yeah, from day one, I always recognized that you were observant and what you were saying was, even if you weren't right, it was going to be like a different angle. Like you were always paying attention in a way that I respected. And I was like, all right, this will be easy. Like if you don't go into being an, into being an agent, being an agent, being an agent, or you're you said like it's observing and i think that i think that yeah the, the thing that really can come from not playing is there's no emotion i'm hearing that echo Stu, you got it um yeah there's no there's no emotion in it so like when you're playing and like you're like one for seven like you get on your like you get so frustrated but like me sitting on the chair on my bench seat very comfortably i can kind of take it all in and not have the emotion of like my own going through my own game. Even when I play, when I play pickup now, like if I'm playing bad, I get so frustrated. So it's so hard for players to leave yeah. when they're playing because when they're struggling, they just worry about themselves. And what I could do is have much wider lens, a huge perspective and be like, I see what's happening. I can go up to Trey and be like, I know you're one for seven, but like go tell Nick Stauskas this, go tell Mitch McGarry this because I'm seeing it and they're so when guys are in their own head, uh, it's hard to lead sometimes. For sure. I'll never forget when we lost to Ohio my senior year. We got upset and we are just got off the plane in Ann Arbor and Kathleen Beeline comes up to me and she's like, it must be such a big relief, like to finally be done. And I was like, you know, it's not a normal question because normally it'd be like sad. You know, we had such high hopes, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of is because to be worried about like Zach and I's job was to be leading for everyone and then let Tim and Trey just do play basketball and like to do both jobs can be very draining. And so another question I have for you is how, because Tim and Trey are very much guys where it's like throw the ball up and they're just going to do what they do. Right. Like talent. They're just so talented and athletic. Like think they're just going to take over. I mean, Trey, his freshman year, I mean, I don't really remember him saying too many words and he didn't have to, like we knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew what he was going to do in the court. So did you see that evolve from a leadership standpoint? But at the same time, it was probably like a little easier because you guys were so talented. Like maybe yeah. it didn't take quite the leadership that it did for like maybe like, you know, my our teams when I was there. Yeah. I mean, our margin for error was so much greater, right? Like I, I always view basketball through like a like a, a prism of bell curve, like margin for error. Like the better talent you have, the better, bigger margin for error. The more threes you shoot, the more defensive versatility you have where you can play different coverages. Um, you're better your shot spectrum is where you take layups and threes. Like you have a better chance, even when you're not playing your A game, you're playing your C game, but the other team's playing well, like you can still beat them. Um, so that's how I always think of things. Our team was so good, like our margin for it was massive because we had six pros. So like if Tim didn't have a good game, like we had Nick Stoskis and Mitch McGarry could have a really good game. We had Glenn Robinson, who I've been talking about, Karis Levert. So we could just keep coming at you. And then we played such a good style. Like Coach Beeline was so far ahead of the curve as far as we were playing spread, pick, and roll with shooters all around before that really was the NBA mold 10 years ago. So, like, we would just kind of come at you in waves and just barrage threes, and there were certain games, like, you weren't going to beat us because we just – we were going to hit 18 threes in a game and have too much talent. Um, yep. So, I would I would agree the leadership probably wasn't as hard, but it's also – the key is when you have that much talent, keeping everyone happy, right? And, and I always thought, like, it's through lens of, like, I always told our guys, like, you will get the most recognition when we win. Like, averaging 17, but on a team that's 500 versus averaging 12, on a team that makes it to the final four, like, they're going to see the role you play. They're going to they're gonna extrapolate out your talent. Like, Glenn Robinson was so talented, 
well, his usage wasn't super high because we had all these guys. So, like, he, he wasn't going to average 18 points a game. But I would be like, Glenn, like, we're going to see how good you are, man. Like, you're a prototypical wing. You can guard multiple positions. You play downhill. Like, they'll see that. So, there was a point where everyone's like, we have all the pieces to win. If we just buy in and kind of fulfill our roles and, and don't get greedy and, and try to kind of step on people's toes, um, we can be really, really good. And that's such a good point as well that you obviously understand and, and laid out very eloquently is that you have to manage people where they're at. Like you can't manage everyone the same. You can't coach everyone the same. You got to go to them and coach them where they're at. And that plays a huge part because you guys had so many freshmen that are talented and like, you know, you can start to get big heads and you got real guys in. So it's, it is an interesting position. Yeah, that I think like in any team, any company, like role definition is so critical, right? We're like, yeah. and it's not just that player knowing the role, it's the entire team, right? Like you get sitting around in a team meeting and be like, Stu, like, this is your job. We appreciate you for it. Everyone's going to hear it. And like, your job is to, you shoot. So like, if you miss your first five threes, your job is to shoot the six. And that way, like, when you take that six, your teammates are empowering you, being like, shoot, like, Stu, like, keep shooting. And there's guys who, like, your job is the rebound, we're in the court, set screen. So, like, when you take a bad shot and I take you out, you're going to, the team's going to know why. And I think it's transparency that everyone knows what it is. And then you can be held accountable from either living up to what you're doing or not living up to what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. Beautifully put. Josh, I'm wondering why you don't have a full-size picture of you standing with your arms in the air with Trey shooting. Yeah, that's like probably the best thing I've ever done. I, I still get things about that. There was a I, – I can see into the future. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't have, like, a big mural, honestly, like, on your mantle. And people are like – It's, Josh, it's right over – I have the Josh Barlowstein shrine right over here, so you just can't see it yet. But there's, there's a lot of uh, a lot of J-Bart yeah. material over here. Okay, well, then what are you doing, man? You got to get that I, on I camera. I got I to gotta keep a level head, you know. I can't, I can't be having a, the J-Bart shrine behind the, the camera. You should have seen Novak's. It was his jersey and then it, uh, like a little uh, portrait of his dog, like a nice little like art piece. Like, Yeah. Dude, remember when they called you the scientist and we had your scientist yeah. post on our mantle? That was a great picture. I enjoyed that picture. That was on college game day where they uh, – yeah. That was the chemist mixing all the, you know, getting everyone to work well together. The, the chem, That's right. chemist scientist, but it was the chemist because they said my job is to get everyone to kind of coexist together. Um, and they made it on college game day. So that's, that's one of the claims to fame. I have a buddy, Joe, <laughs> and big Purdue fan, loves basketball. And he actually came. You met him one time. And yeah, I know who you're talking about. He still calls you the chemist to this day. Like, I mean, a couple months ago, we were talking about you. And he goes like, oh, yeah, the chemist. I was like, yep. That's tough. I struggle with science, but if I like the chemist. I'm happy to keep that, but science was never a strong suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's get into, we mentioned Zach, and for people that don't know, Josh, Zach, and I lived together for two years. It was a lot of fun. Not super crazy, but enough fun uh, for college. Um, I mean, how was that living with both of us? We're very different people. I think we go... Like a lot we haven't talked about, like, so you and Zach, I was a freshman, you two are sophomores. You and mm-hmm. Zach are already living together. Yep. So after my, like midway, and, and when I first came into your book, like, who's this like kid from the suburbs? Like, you know, like, is he a walk on? Is he going to make it? So like, I'd like prove myself that like, I was going to stick around. And then like, then like halfway through the year, um, I wasn't allowed to live off campus. My grades were good enough and, and Coach B was going to say it. So I, I had to convince you and Zach to move from your two bedroom to a three-bedroom house 
And like you guys both use that as leverage. It was like, well, if we're going to move for you to move off campus, like we're, we're paying less rent. I want, and Zach's like, I want the parking garage and you got to get us groceries. And like, I had I wasn't going to stay in the dorm. So I was like, I have zero leverage. I'm going to have to just do what I want to do to move out. So like Zach got their master bedroom somehow. He swindled that. I'd like get a PS3 for the house. Um, so I, I finally convinced both of you. I'm like, I'm, I promise it'll be like, we'll have fun together. I'm a good guy. And then it all exploded after that uh, in a good way. But it was um, it was probably one of probably the most fun two years of, of my life. I mean, just from getting to play college basketball and two of my best friends and living together and uh, you know, whether it was a tough practice or tough loss or winning the Big Ten, um, we just, I mean, there's just so, if those walls could speak, there's just so many memories of, um, you know, three college kids getting to you know, live their dreams of playing college basketball um, oh, yeah. at the highest level. And like the three of us, like, I mean, you and Zach played in that unbelievable careers, but like when you grew up and, you know, you're from Indiana, like thinking you could play at Michigan and put start and win a Big Ten championship, like we were all living out our dreams and probably when we were younger, like that probably wasn't something that we thought was realistic, right? No, for sure. And every passing day, you get more appreciation for it. That is for sure. For the record, I did not negotiate any of those things. I was happy paying whatever rent I needed to. That was all Zach. You know, that was all Zach. Zach negotiated a lot. And you, I had to take the garbage out. I mean, it was um, the amount of things on this list of what I had to do for him to consider, just consider making a switch. He's always been a man of business. That is from yeah, day is. one. I knew that with him. Uh, the NBA package, though, I was always very appreciative of that. Yeah. You and me watched a lot of NBA. There were perks, whether it was meals, MBA package, good story time, making drinks when we were over 21. I, I brought some good things to the table. Dude, I will never forget, like I vividly remember it when we were in our, you know, the old um, training room that was just off the hallway of Chrysler. Yeah, the worst training and room of the big time. You were, you were in there, right, to start because you're hip? Yeah, I was always, I yeah, lots of issues. Of course. But you were in there and we were talking to you and, you know, you're kind of, you know, you're like getting your ground, your, your feet on the ground there and like trying to settle in and you're like making sure we know that you can dunk and we're athletic. And you're like, I bet I can dunk better than you, Zach. And Zach's like, you know, he's like little chuckle. And he's like, Josh, shut, shut the hell up. You don't know what you're talking about. He's like, no, I think I can. And then, and then, you know, like Zach like wins the dunk contest basically. Yeah, that was a tough start. Uh, it Zach won the dunk contest, right? Our midnight madness that we did one year. That he should put that high on his resume that he won a dunk contest. Um, oh, ridiculous! Yeah, which is probably more of a testament to. Like, well, we had like man. I mean, well, Manny didn't do it because no, it was hamstring, I, mean, I think. But very impressive by Zach. Very impressive. I mean, the thing with Manny is people still don't even know how athletic he was. And just so I good, mean, Manny was so good. Ridiculous! I'm still upset he he never made the Cavs when he should have. Manny uh, Manny was a, a big time NBA talent. He could do a lot of things. Yeah, he was – I'll never forget the first time – it was the first week of workouts. And he is, like, taking – it's just rip through, right? Rip through from the top of the key. And he's getting, like, three feet below the free throw line on a rip through from the top of the key, three-point line. And I'm like, can I get to the elbow? Like, I don't even know. Like, how does this dude do it? And it was just, like, no, natural. Covered so much ground. He could finish with either hand at the rim. His shot got better. I mean, he was hurt his whole well, – that was his sophomore or junior year. But um, yeah, he was hurt the whole year with his hamstring. But, I mean, that guy was so good. You know he's the reason we got out of running the mile. Yeah, 100%. It changed. I, I probably wouldn't have made it through all four years if 
our fall ball program, which was all stuff on the track, 220s, 440s, the mile, if we would have kept that for the duration of my career, I'm not sure I could have made it through it. I couldn't. I did it how many times? Twice. And I was like, that's it. Like, we got to convince him. Otherwise, your body just falls apart. Falls apart. Oh, yeah, easily. I'll never forget, too. We, we've, we won't get into it, but we've had our run-ins with Manny. We, some people can look it up. They know your run-in. And then, you know, mine was that I was pestering him the first week of open gym in the summer. And he, like, kind of squared up with me. Like, he was like, you need to stop, Stuart. Like, please, you know, you don't want to take this too far. I'm yeah. like, I'm just trying to learn how to play defense against a – it was like an NBA athlete right in front of me. And I'm like, okay, let's, like, we're going to play hard. But it's like, nah, open gym. The best Manny story is – and Manny's a great guy. Like, he's a really, really good guy with a big heart. Uh, he let us – so Matt Glogrich and I are living – in uh, uh south quad for, like first week in the freshman year and we're like uh he's we're coming on from practice he's like just don't take the bus take my car for tonight i'll go home with Deshaun. so man and i are like huge like we'll take manny's car you know it's like start of the team like we're very nervous driving his car we don't want to bump into anything crash it so we drive his car and we park it in front of south quad and bogrich is driving and i'm like matt like we, we have to pay the parking meter. He's like no like it's past seven we're good let's just go eat dinner we'll get it in the morning and we'll go to practice the next day go to the sleep wake up the next day car is gone <laughs> nowhere to be found so i'm calm i'm like matt what happened like man he's gonna kill us like this man he's the big man on campus like star of the basketball team um loved and yeah. like, we're preseason ranked 15 like he's a big dude and car is nowhere to be found like there's no there's no sign of it and uh, what, what are we going to say to the guy? Uh, so, like, Matt and I are freaking out. Like, walk to Chrysler. Just, like, trying to figure out what we're going to say. And it's like, Manny, like, we're so, so sorry. We don't know what happened. Like, we have your keys. And uh, sure enough, Manny's like, no, I know I know what happened. Like, uh, I had a parking ticket. They, they towed my car. But they already called me. I'm getting it back. Guys, you shouldn't worry about it. It's totally my fault. And, I mean, I thought it was me off the team. I thought I thought it was over. But I'll yeah. never forget the look on Matt and I's face when we walked outside and just we're like looking at the spot and like there's just no car there. I can see you managing Matt and Matt just being like, either either Matt was like, ah, whatever, it's fine, or just complete freak out like something's bad. This was before like, we were so young and like it's Manny. If it was like your car, we'd be like, sorry, Stu. But we were we were just so nervous and so scared. But he couldn't have been better about it. No, yeah, he he was a cool guy. He was always very. Uh... Very giving in that way, that is for sure. Um, we want to talk to you a little bit about your book and some of your blog. I won't get into it too much, but one of my favorite stories that I was just looking up recently was um, the one where you were in a, I think it was 2013 team, you're in a hotel, and then like the ballroom or some conference room next door was a bar mitzvah. Yeah. And you were explaining keepas and the talis yeah. of people. Yeah. And like, and I'll never forget, like, you know, where I was. I am Jewish. I got my Israeli passport. Yeah, you've come a long way. You had your bar mitzvah. But, you know, I was still learning stuff from you. And, like, there was no Jewish kids on the basketball team. And, like, it was like no. a shock to everyone on the team. Yeah, no, that's my claim to, uh, claim to fame there. It's the only Jewish kid on the team. Uh, no, that was my job. And, like, I'll... <laughs> another really funny story is we were playing at Clemson. Uh, and Coach B, you know, Coach B would always play. because He's big on, like, religion and knowing people's culture and background. Um, this is a great story. And he's like, Jay Bart, he's like, Jay Bart, do you want to uh, say a, Jew a Jewish prayer before 
we eat dinner because we always would say a prayer before dinner and he didn't like prepare me so i my mom's gonna be so mad but I, i'm like <laughs> i'm like all right like he's like just say a long nice long prayer like good health have a good meal good luck tomorrow i have no idea so i just start making up words just putting things together makes zero sense everyone's buying it though like people are nodding their head it sounds <laughs> nice everyone's like oh, they're so into it and then so I, I make up like this bunch of words for 20 seconds and then coach B's like so what did you say I'm like well I said let's you know bless this food and we eat together and wishing everyone good health tomorrow we're going to play Michigan basketball and everybody's like wow that's beautiful Josh like you should do it every game I'm like no not do it every game but once in a while I'll do it and I just remember being like I literally did not say one thing that made sense I mean <laughs> you're lucky that he didn't ask you to like teach him Hebrew or something but I will never forget another vivid memory was you saying that you stood up and then it was me and Zach sitting next to you and you were sitting next to us. And then you like walked back to us or like at a table and like, we're like, uh, what did you say? And you gave your patented J Bart rye smile. And you're like, nothing. I don't know. I didn't, I don't know what I said. <laughs> like, I have no idea what I said, but yeah, like the bar mitzvah, uh, you know, I, we walk into the hotel and like, I see these lights and these young kids. I'm like, you know, and I see a couple of kippahs. I'm like, oh, it's right in my alley because I could teach everyone what was going on. And yeah. people were so into it. Like, they're like, they're seventh graders dancing and they're playing games. And then once they found out the Michigan basketball team was there, like, oh, we want you guys to come in. And I was like, that's a bad idea. We're definitely not doing that. But yeah. they, they just couldn't understand. I was like, it's like a sweet 16. Think of it like a sweet 16 party just out of the right. Jewish religion. Um, but they... That we ate it up. It was very fun. There was music was playing the midnight. So our, our team, and everyone wants to have their environments for now. I was like, if there's some other, you got to do some reading, you got to do some things that go into it. But uh, it was a great night. Yeah, it is, it is too funny. Yeah, there's so many things that college basketball, like so many backgrounds that you get to learn about. So it's fun. Yeah. But I want to get into the book. And my first question is like, where do you get the balls to write a book <laughs> at 2023? 20, Right it, it's great. It was great for like going out to like bars and pubs and girls would be like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm an author. Like, <laughs> that was the best part about it. So the, I cheated, right? I didn't, I didn't write a book. What I did was I wrote a blog. Tom Watery, love the guy. When we went to Spain, uh, Belgium uh, for our European trip, he's like, I want to write a blog and I'm going to go blue about like the trip. I was like, all right, I'm happy to do it. I like writing. So I did like three or four entries. Some other guys did some stuff too. And like Michigan fans love Michigan. They love Michigan basketball. They ate it up and read it. So as we got into my sophomore season, he's like, do you want to write a weekly blog? Just about the team, how it's doing and stuff off the court. And I was like, I'm sure I'll love it. I'm probably going to get sick of it after a couple of weeks, especially like if we're not playing well, there's like only so much you can say. But I said, sure, why not? And then over the course of three years, it kind of took on a life of its own where it became a pretty big deal. And we were winning a lot. We had a lot of um, Michigan is always on national TV. We had a lot of recognizable guys like you and Zach, and then it became Trey and Tim and Nick and Mitch. Like people ate, ate these guys up, and I would kind of give the side off the court, right? Like people would see us play for 40 minutes, but they would love to hear about the three of us living together or the team dinners or the team plane rides. So I wrote the blog in my sophomore, junior, senior year, and the, the culmination of that was us you know, going to the Final Four and losing a national championship. So when it was done, I probably already had 250 pages written over three years. And a oh, couple, yeah. a couple um, editors said, well, if you add like 20 pages on the final four, like you could turn this into a book because people love Michigan. I love Michigan basketball. So I wrote 20 more pages. 
and we created a book. It started as an ebook. We can only buy it online, and there wants to be a certain threshold of, of sales. They're like, well, now we'll make it a coffee table book and, and make it um, a soft cover book. So uh, Michigan fans loved it because it gave them inside access. And then the cool thing about the book is that you kind of see the rise of Michigan basketball because it starts after that really tough freshman year. And then it goes yeah. to my sophomore year where you hit that shot against Michigan State. And I, I always tell people, like, that's the inflection point for Michigan basketball is Stu shot. Then it goes to a Big Ten championship, which is, was amazing for us. I'll never forget that day, the crushing yeah. loss to Ohio. And then coming back and having this unbelievable year, we get to the Final Four and, and win and all these characters and guys became larger than life. So it's really just kind of uh, this transition and kind of inflection point of Michigan basketball that covers so much. And, and it, it kind of goes deeper in just what's on the court. I mean, that's a hell of a rise when you lay it out like that. Like, I don't think I've ever fully taken that four-year rise like that. Yeah, I, I'll never forget, Stu. We had um, our freshman year, we had just lost to Northwestern. Like, sure, and one for like 40 against us. Uh, uh, we were like one in six in the Big Ten, probably like just over um, – or my, my sophomore year, actually, you're a junior year, probably like over 500 overall. Remember listening to like 97 minutes taken and people were like talking about like, does Michigan need a new head coach? Like, where's this program going? Uh, and I was like, wow, like this is crazy. Like, cause when you're a student athlete, you don't think about the business of it. You're like, we're playing, competing yeah. every day. And it like hit me like, wow, like we could be in trouble here. And then sure enough, we go on to, you know, win I think 10 games in the big 10, when our first round uh, game against Tennessee almost beat Duke and like just take off. But midway through my sophomore year, junior, your junior year, like we were in last place in the Big Ten and there people were questioning if Coach B could, was the right person to run the program. And now he's the winningest coach of all time and a Hall of Fame coach. Uh, but just shows how fragile and fickle sports are, right? Again, and then, and it's not talent. Like this, talent will take you, but also there's like, it's managing the talent. So it's, it's twofold. It's very much twofold, but yeah, I'll never forget. Like I tell people, I've talked about this ad nauseum now, but you know, it was like a couple of years after, maybe one or two years after and like Mark Snyder and some other media people were like, yeah, like Beeline was about to get fired. And I was like, what? You know, I'm just looking at the next day, the next game. And I'm like, really wasn't paying attention. And, you know, really didn't appreciate that game for what it was and that season, the turnaround. And it's like, yeah, I guess, I guess it wasn't that anymore. I hear about it. And I just read the story where, um Dave Brandon came to him practice like yeah I get get a lot of emails people want me to fire you and I was like good lord like that's that's quick like that's three years and he doesn't even have the guys that he wants like you gotta give no, the full it's, it's why sports are so hard because it's a yeah. in most businesses you know your competitor and you can both do well right like in real estate you can both do well and finance you you know all these companies can have success in sports zero-sum game like Michigan and Michigan State they both can't win tomorrow. One of them is going to lose and someone's going to be disappointed and there's going to be pressure from that loss. Um, and that's the same thing in the NBA or any sport is there's only a finite number of wins and you both can't win. Where in business, but in the tech sector, you can have two tech companies and you know, Facebook and name any other, you know, Twitter, they can both yeah. have great years. Do they compete for sure, but they can still, you know, both have years where they beat their numbers and, and reporting and stuff like that. So it's, it's why sports are under a microscope is every game is, is, analyzed and there's blogs and then someone's going to lose it and they're going to write more articles on that yeah no it, it just really never stops i mean it's a enviable and unenviable enviable position at the same time i want to get into a little more more about you post-college and your career um you obviously work for the pistons we mentioned that you started out in 
real estate in Chicago. And I mean, I just always pictured you in the front office of an NBA team, like from early yeah. on, like I knew you weren't going to, you know, follow your dad and be an agent. Like I knew you kind of wanted to make your own way. And I think, you know, real estate, you mentioned in articles, like it's nice to be close to family, but did you know that you wanted to make the move to the NBA? Or was that uh, just a complete? It was an opportunity and luck. Um, and you all, I remember you always be like, Jay Bart's going to work for a, a team one day. Like you would always say that. And I'd be like, I don't think I am because there's only 30 teams and I want to be in Chicago. So like, that's not probably not that realistic, but I, I was working in real estate for uh, general growth properties, which is now Brookfield and loved it. Um, I was leasing, which was selling anyone that does anything in life. You're selling, whether it's yourself or the product or service. Uh, I was living with five of my friends. We were going out six nights a week. Like life was good. I was very happy. And then in the, uh, August 18th, 2015, my current boss and our uh, vice chairman, minority owner, Aaron Tellum, called me a random LA number. And so I'm looking for kind of a young guy to be my right hand for the Pistons. Is there any chance you're interested in coming? And Aaron went to Michigan Law School. He was a former agent. So he knew, my, knew of my dad. They, were, they weren't friends, but they were respected rivals. And he knew me from playing at Michigan and kind of had heard about me. Uh, so I say, well, I would love to interview kind of who knows where this will go. I figured I wasn't going to get the job anyway. Fly to LA, interview with him. It goes well. He's like, all right, like, I need you to move here in a month and move to Detroit. Uh, I'm starting in a month and I want you to be here with me. So I was like, I'm 25 years old. I don't have a family. Like, I can, this is the chance, time to take a chance. I'm like, I probably won't work. I'll probably be there for a year or two, but I might as well try it because my people get to, get to work for the Pistons. So I moved to Detroit, don't really know anyone because all my friends are my teammates, like you and Zach, and like everyone's gone, like they don't, no one stayed in Michigan. Right. So kind of started a new life. Um, and I basically is like assistant, like my job is to schedule, uh, schedule his meetings. Like we drive to work every day, we have breakfast. My first day I take his shoes to get shined. Like I was 25 years old. So like when you start a new job young, like you earn trust by doing small things well. And like my job was to do those chores really well with good attitude. If I did them well, he'd be like, all right, do more and more stuff. So from that, the Pistons went through this major transformation where we were in Auburn Hills and we were looking to move downtown and Arn was in charge of kind of guiding us through that process. So I got a lot of, I got lucky, like anything in life, you need luck and opportunity and take advantage of it. I got to be part of the deal team that kind of helped build the new arena and all and kind of basketball specific spaces to move downtown. We built a new practice facility. We're moving our G League team downtown. We kind of transformed our brand and business. So anytime you move a team from suburbs or any area to a new area, just that alone is going to be a major inflection point for revenue. Right? It's, it's a whole new it's a whole new game. So we had a ton of success, and a big part of it was that. And Aaron kept giving me more and more responsibility, and I got to do more stuff and kind of be his right-hand person. Went from his assistant to special assistant my role now where I kind of help guide the day-to-day operations, whether that's helping figure out how to grow revenues or cut costs or all the real estate stuff we're doing in the city, get to work with Aaron and Troy Weaver in basketball. So it's a very cool job because it's very, very broad, right? One day it's talking about building a practice facility. The next day it's talking about selling more tickets or sponsorship. Um, But it all started with a random phone call in August, an opportunity, and then like self-deprecating and being humble enough for like, I could go from leasing and you know, making more money to kind of taking a big step back and being like, I'm literally taking someone's shoes right. to time. Yeah. Um, I don't have any friends here, but I know if I do have a smile on my face and do it well, it like really the more and more stuff. And and it did. And um, I'm, I'm lucky and happy to be where I am now. 
I mean, you've always been one that knows the importance of eating the shit per se, like yeah. eat the shit. And then eventually like things will turn out great. Like sometimes guys don't really understand that, especially what it doesn't matter what it is, but, but for me specifically, I see a lot of guys go overseas. They can't, they're not good at, at doing that and they blow up, but like where you're going to assistant, you're shining shoes. Like were there conversations where it's like, okay, like I can give you more. Was there like tests? Like how does yeah. that I mean, it's, it's, it's a parallel to like being a walk-on as a freshman, right? Like I almost didn't make it through my our freshman year. Like it was so hard. And like, you know, I'm what, 18 years old playing against Manny Harris and Deshaun Sims. I'm like, yeah. it's a grueling schedule. I got to do well in school. I'm pushing my body. Like there were nights where I was like, why am I doing this? And I'm never going to play. Um, but like, you just, again, it humbles you. You work really hard. You got to be able to laugh at yourself and make fun of yourself and self-deprecate. And I made it through my freshman year. And then after that, like I was bad our freshman year. And then my sophomore, like I started to get my feet under me and like played good basketball and was able to contribute and kind of took off from there as far as my role. It was the same thing like working with Aaron. I was like, no one's going to give me anything. I got the opportunity, but they're not going to be like, Josh, go fix the Pistons. Like, why would they do that to a 25-year-old who's working in real estate? Like, you have to gain people's trust so they like they see in the attention to detail how I would like get there early and stay late. I would ask questions. I would, I would always like, you know, the curiosity I think is so important. So I would just keep learning and learning. And I took finance classes at night to like, teach myself finance. Cause I think you gotta know the numbers, you gotta know the data. Uh, and I think my curiosity and wanting to keep working harder and harder, they would just give me more and more and more to the point where like, Hey, like he can just do the job. Like let's just give it to him and run with it. And I you know I, I've done good enough where they keep giving me more. Yeah, no, I would say so. I mean, you're overseeing construction and fi or like budgeting for a $65 million project. Like it's, it's funny to think about where you can go with just a little bit of patience and just small grinding and like just keeping at it. Um, but again, like I always knew in some capacity you were going to be there. I've always told you that. Like we, you and me watching the NBA games on the couch and just, you know, you obviously knew how these teams worked a little bit. So, yeah, it, it is fun to watch you, to all that, see that come to fruition and play out. Like, not exactly how I thought, obviously, but, um, yeah, very much in the, in the same manner. And you've done it mm -hmm. so young, too, and, which comes to my next question is, Arn is, you know, you know, he's praises on you, and as everyone should. You've done a fantastic job. And he calls you the next Bob Myers, which is, you know, <laughs> some big, the big shoes to fill there like do you foresee that i know it's hard to talk about because you're in your position now and you do what you yeah. do but like do you foresee some type of future like that as a gm or like yeah it's such, again like i think i mean bob myers like that guy's going to the hall of fame too uh he, I, he was like aaron's right hand so that's where the comparison comes from um right. I think these jobs are so like they're so hard, especially on the basketball side, right? Where it's, again, zero sum game. There's only 30 jobs. There's so much luck and, and there's so much variance involved. I, I love what I get to do. Like I love M the NBA. I love the business side of it and being strategic and helping us operate and uh, achieve our owner and, and our vision and goals. Um, so I, I think he says that, which is amazing. There's probably like similarities and like we work hard and we both were basketball players and play a lot and. Uh, are humble in that sense have empathy it's one of our own favorite words but I'm just like enjoying the day like I, I get to go to NBA basketball games I get to go watch our team play tonight um 
I, I love what I do and I get through the lens of basketball, the prism of basketball. So life is good. And if I keep working hard and doing it the right way, then everything else will take care of itself. Yep, exactly. All right. Before we get you out of here, we got four questions pretty quick. One, I'm kind of just jumping this on real quick. So if you don't have an answer, it's fine. Yeah. You have like a go-to beeline story that you love to tell or like something that pops up. I know oh, this man. is not easy. Got, I'm not dealing with these kind of questions. I got, he's, um, I got so many, I love coach B that he's an amazing man. I guess there's probably so many stories. Um, I know there's so many that like, they just get I'll tell up. a story about you. Right. So he, um, you, I think you're going to know what I'm going to say, but Coach B hated people that pe- hated people that were late. He always was being early on time. So he's like, before the year, he's like, Jay Bar, like, you live with Stu. Do not let him be late. And I was like, well, coach, like, sometimes we come from class. Like, I'm not always with them. Like, and we don't, like, I'm not sleeping in the same room as the guy. He's like, no, you're in charge of Stu. Do not let him be late. If you are, there's going to be consequences. So I'm like, well, all right. Then. If it's, if, I, I don't like running. So I'm like, all right, Stu, I'm going to be on you. So literally the first day of practice, yeah. first day of official practice, we practice at 6 a.m. And for those of you who don't know on the show, Stu's not a great early riser. So yeah, I, we, well, uh, oh boy, yeah. Yeah. So I, it's like 5 a.m. I wake up, I go in Stu's room. I'm like, Stu, are you up? Like, we got to go. It's like, yeah, I'm up, I'm up, leave me alone. I'm going at my own pace. But I'm like, are you up? Yes, I'm up. So Zach and I leave and Stu's driving behind us. It's 5.55, 5.56 on the court, no stew. I'm like, well, in these case, cutting it awfully close, Coach Beeline's like, Josh, I gave you one job. It's the first day. It's 5.59. It's got about 30 seconds. Otherwise, you're running 17s for the whole week. Literally, my heart sings because there's nothing I hate more than running 17s. <laughs> Six, 6.01, no stew. Stew went back to sleep. So I think you got to like at 6.45 or 7. And I was like, uh, Coach B, like, please, like, I, I can't run 17s all week. He's like, no, you, Stu, you and Zach are going to run 17s for a full week. I'm going to put a chair at midcourt and let Stu watch you. He, so that's a funny insight that he had you, you know, rein me in, which it was only the morning. It was only the morning stuff because I, like, had such big sleeping problems. But, like, 6 a.m., and he, he always did that. He always did the morning practices to test guys. Like, all right, you're going to be up and get early and, like, get going. It's like it's going to be a test. And I'm like, can you, can you test me physically at, like, 3 p.m.? Like, I do great at 3 p.m. Yeah. But I had such a problem sleeping, and I'll never forget that, you know, we, I show up late. We get to, I get to the practice. Like, all right, we're going to run. Zach, you and Zach run with me that first day. We run the first 17. And, I mean, Zach is just livid. And you're just like <laughs> – you're eating it like yeah all right like i knew this was gonna happen this is what beeline said was gonna happen zach is just livid luckily beeline said i think i like explained it a little to him i don't remember exactly what happened but he's like okay you guys don't have to run Stu, keep running and then i ran like the full week and i'm like after practice you came to me and said dude i woke you up and like made sure like twice like that you were ready to go and i'm like no you didn't like i don't re- i didn't remember right. any like literally blacked it out like i yeah. I could so have been, I, every morning practice the rest of our lives. I would like sit on your bedside until you got up and went into the shower. But like, dude. it's like you had the ability to run for days. Like you could do that. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm a six, four Jewish kid. Like I can't do that. So like when he would say that, like for a week, you have to run 17s, like it's over. Like I'm not getting through practice for the whole week running 17s. You could do that. But thank God he cut it off after the first day. Cause your boy might not have made it through. No, no, that could have been really bad. That could have been really bad. 
Yeah, that stuff was funny. Uh, I'll never forget that stuff. Um, okay, three more questions. One is your last game was against Louisville National Championship game. And you have a very different perspective. I love everyone's perspective when I ask former players this question. But if you can try and capture the locker room and how you felt specifically, personally, yourself after that loss and walking off and then sort of the week or two after, like, did it linger with you? And how did you process that whole yeah, thing? That's a great question. I think that I, it's a phenomenal question. I'll never, one of my like most vivid memories, I'll never forget the locker room after losing to Louisville. So I was like, uh, I didn't go the same pathway you're supposed to go. I didn't want to shake anyone's hand. Because when you're that close to like greatness, uh, like no. it is, it is so, so hard. Because it changes yeah, your life, right? Like, even yeah. like getting to the final four changed my life. Like I probably, I probably don't have this job without that. But like if you win, different level. So yeah. um, I'm the first one in the locker room. I, I took a water bottle and just like whipped it in my locker. It exploded and spills all, all over my clothes. Like I'm soaking wet when I change. But the first thing we were telling the story, so it's total backfired. But I'm the first one in there. I hear like security guy be like, is everyone all right in there? Um, <laughs> and people just file in. And then we sit in our chairs and, and Coach B gets up there and he starts crying. Uh, crying tears of probably happiness and happy and sad that just mm-hmm. what this team means, you know, how we came together. And then he let everyone that wanted to speak go up there. That's and nice. I went up there and kind of just said, like, you guys gave me like the year of my life, right? Like to go to a final four and get to be on CBS and meet Jim Nance and ride around in police escorts, like. I get to tell my kids about this for the rest of my life. And I, I was crying. And then the most impressive thing is like, our, uh, not a lot of people spoke, but our freshmen went up as a group and just like thanked everyone. I remember Glenn Robinson, who, who didn't speak a ton, was just like what this group meant to him and how the fun he had and uh, how he looks up to us forever and how we would always stay together. Because I think the best part about Michigan teams is they're all good kids. Like I still talk to Trey and Tim and, and you and Zach, obviously, but even the guys who have become stars, Karis Levert, uh, Blake Aldrich, like we still all text, we text in groups just because of those memories and the bonding of it. So um, I'll never forget kind of that locker room. And then we took the bus back and all our fans were at the hotel and it was, everyone was cheering for us. And, and we were so, so upset because you're so, again, you're, you can feel it. You're so close. Yeah. Uh, and then we all kind of just, we sat outside in our hallway. It was just what we all did is all 15 of us. We sat outside in our hotel hallway and just told stories about like year and the journey. Um, and we're up to like three in the morning, uh, just like laughing and crying. And because you couldn't go anywhere, there was like police on the floor to make sure you didn't leave the hotel. Um, right. And we just, I'll never forget the night of just telling stories. That's a cool ass story. That's really good. Yeah. I like that. I'm sure the week after, like, you just gain appreciation for the whole yeah. thing. And then, like, I remember I texted my cousin, uh, like, for three days after I'm like what am I supposed to like do all day because I like woke up like eight in the morning because I couldn't like I'm so used to waking up early for our classes and I was like like I have nothing to do like what do you guys like normal college students do it's like well you have to stay up later and sleep longer you have to like hang out with your friends like don't you have friends like you have to like reinvent yourself a little bit but I remember I'll never forget vividly like the week after I would be texting my friends like the normal college students being like these are very long days around here. What do you guys do? Yeah. <laughs> well, partying, Josh. You, you had to go enjoy. You had to have enjoyed that last month. 
I did. I, then I, I, I found the rhythm. It took a little bit, but I found the rhythm. Yeah. Instead of uh, running suicides, I was, you know, I was running with my friends on uh, South Beaver, wherever it was. Yeah. Okay, two more questions. This is a quick hitter. Ricks or Skeeps? Skeeps, not close. God, I love this. I'm just, I'm so surprised everyone is in, in agreement with me on this. All right, last question. If there's one thing that you learned at Michigan, uh, something that sticks out to you, or maybe that you still carry with you to this day, it's a lesson learned, maybe a phrase or something, like what sticks out to you that you took away from your time at Michigan? Um, I, th- I think just like, it was the first time in my life where like, I had like real success, like our team had success. Like because you're a kid, you're in high school, like, you don't know. But then yeah. like to see like what goes into having success. I, I think I always say like players that are or individuals who come from playing a sport in college are so far ahead of the curve because they've been operators. Like I just think I, what I learned from playing at Michigan is like what it takes to run a program, what it takes to be a, a cog in that program, what it takes to be a steward of moving Michigan basketball forward. So whether it's the scheduling that goes into a given day or my role being a leader or just seeing how to make this machine work. Um, I realize like what goes into it and how delicate and fragile it is. But if you, if you really, really, really care about it and work really, really hard, like you can achieve anything. I mean, and, and it's so cliche because you can achieve anything, but like literally like we went, we went, we almost got there. Like we, we got to a final four and you realize like all the groundwork that had to get laid, like there was no skip steps. There were, there were things we had to do to get there, but it just shows me of like my job now, like all the small things matter. Like we do all these small things, right? It gives us a chance. We may, we almost lost to Kansas. Like we're one shot away, but you put yourself in position to be in position to have success. And I think that's my big takeaway. No, for sure. I mean, cliches are cliches for a reason. And when you get that experience, like it becomes real and it, and then, and then you can take that away from it. So it's, it's a great answer. Jay Bart, I love you, man. I always love talking to you. I don't know why we don't talk more. Well, you're a busy guy, but we got to talk I'm more. I'm always happy to come on, man. You, uh, I'm always happy. Just let me know. I would love it. I would love it. Whenever this is done, like you, me, and, and Z got to get together for sure. Like I am, I am dying for that. So, I'm all so in. Just let me know. When. Well, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on. Uh, yeah, and hopefully we can, we can do this again uh, another time. Let's do it when Michigan's deep in, deep in marching band this time, man. Me, you, and Zach. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, man. Thanks, dude.